This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. That's one of my favorite movies. Uh, That's probably the climax of the movie uh, where they had gone down to a dream within a dream within a dream. If you ever watch Inception, you know how many dreams they go down. And um, this young man was uh, about to inherit his father's um, kingdom. I mean, his basically all his riches. And they went to the dream to plant the idea that his dad was disappointed that he ever tried to be like him. It was, a, it was a miscommunication of expectations. And because of that, you know, he, he, there was a fence. But in the dream, the, the seed was planted, so he realized in the dream that, you know, my dad was upset with me, not because I couldn't live up to his expectations, but because I thought my expectation was to live up to his, if that makes sense. Because oftentimes when we communicate, there's, there's miscommunications because of expectations, whether stated or not. And the problem with humanity is oftentimes we have different communication styles. And because there's different communication styles, often our communication is lost in the translation, as they say. We're going to do a little example really quickly, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Um, Ruthie. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> You're fine. Anthony and Ruthie, can you please sit right here? You'll be fine. And um, where's Haley? Haley, please. Haley. Where did Greg go? Nate. Nate. Can you come here for a second? Don't be nervous. So what we're going to do is this example. We're going to solve all the problems of the earth. <laughs> We're going to try. All right, to be honest, if you, th- you four ask you a quick question, need you all to respond. If we want to get more people to come to Endurance Church, what do we have to do? Go. Spread the word. Go ahead. Tell people. Okay, anything else? Please them. All right, awesome. Pause. I'm showing you a communication tool. This is amazing. We all have different styles of communication. You business people kind of know where I'm going. Some people communicate directly. And direct people, when they communicate, they think they have to get their information out. And if you're not responding appropriately, they feel like they have to talk more so that you can get the information. So, they talk quickly, they talk fast, they keep on talking. Oh, I'm not picking on you. (laughs) Now, indirect communication is this. These individuals know the answer. They had opinions, but did they say anything? Did anybody know if they didn't say anything? Anthony tried, but he he got cut off, right? (laughs) 
But they have answers. And the way people communicate, who communicate indirectly, they wait. They expect you to know that they're waiting. They expect you to know that they haven't said anything. They have these assumptions. Well, obviously, I'm here and I have all the answers, at least some of them. And they expect you to realize what they're thinking. And oftentimes, when these two different groups of people communicate, it's usually the direct communicators that sometimes dominate the conversation. Now, indirect people communicate differently. For instance, if we said, hey, how do we get more people to come to church? They may say, oh, you know, man, there's some awesome churches here, aren't they? They're doing great things in the city. Man, there's this other church, uh, Eagle Brook. Man, they're, they're doing amazing things. They're, they're, they send out direct mail pieces. The church is amazing. They're, they're communicating the same thing except in a different way. And the challenge is, if you're a direct communicator, sometimes you dominate the conversation. And sometimes if you're an indirect communicator, you don't get all your information out because you assume everybody should just know. Let's give them a hand. You can be seated. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. Not you, Haley. <laughs> I'm not. But the problem is sometimes we see people interacting and we just say, what's the tension? What's the conflict there? And oftentimes it's simply a matter of communication styles. I could have went on to people who are more emotive, who are more emotional, in contrast to people who are restrained. And emotional people, they're the people who what? They, 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 they get really excited easily. We, we know those people. They're, they're always up here. And there's other people who are more reserved. Now, I would probably say the dominant communication style regarding emotional and reserved here is probably reserved. And the problem is if you're an emotional communicator in a dominant culture of reserved people, you're, you're pushed off to the side because you're more emotional. And people will look at you like, oh, no, here they come again. We don't want to talk to them because they're all emotional. The first thing that we tell emotional people when they're, when they're really passionate is what? Calm down. And what do they say? I am calm. <laughs> and they are. Because they're calm. But that's how they normally communicate. But the reserve person doesn't understand. You know what? They're right now under control. But the reserve person has this problem. Sometimes we all have this problem. We assume when they act the way they're doing, they should feel the way we would feel if we acted that way. So if I'm a reserve person, I see someone who's emotional talking. I'd be like, oh, if I was that way, I'd be, I'd be out of control. But the emotional person is in control. But because the dominant culture is more reserved, they can look down, the reserve person can look down at the emotional person and push them off to the side. And vice versa. If we were in a dominant culture of people who are very emotional and someone was reserved, the, the emotional people would look at the reserve person and say, you know what? You're, I don't trust you. 
Why? Because you're, you're not showing me your emotions. And because of this, the emotional person looks at the reserve person and says, no, I, I can't be intimate with you because you're not honest with your feelings. These are just small portions of how communication can be misinterpreted. We all have expectations when we talk to people. But there could be arrogance on both sides. The arrogant person who is a direct communicator could, could be like, well, obviously they don't know because they're not saying anything. So I have to keep on talking until they get it because I know because I'm talking. And if you're not talking, I'll keep on talking until you get it because obviously I know and you don't because you're not talking. In contrast, the person who is more reserved would be like, man, when are they going to be quiet so I can get my point in? Don't they know I'm sitting here? Are they going to keep on talking? They should know they should be quiet. They'll get it. I'll walk away. You see how communication can be difficult. And this is a superficial level. Now, for us today, the question is, how does God communicate? I'd say he communicates in every way. Sometimes God's direct. Sometimes he's not Sometimes he's indirect. Sometimes God's emotional. And sometimes God's reserved. But one thing we have to understand, he has communicated clearly to us what he wants from us. It's clear. It's always been clear. But sometimes we don't like what he's saying. So we reinterpret what he says so that we like what he's saying. Anybody? That's why I showed the, the video clip because the son had an expectation of how he thought the dad wanted him to act. But the contrast was the father had an expectation. It was the exact opposite of the son's. And because of the difference of expectations, they were never communicating. Communication broke down, broke down, and they were frustrated. And frustration led to this big conflict that kept growing and growing when all of while it was that they weren't communicating clearly. That happens a lot in churches. We often communicate in different ways. And because people don't communicate like us, sometimes we say, okay, well, I can't really communicate. I can't talk to them, right? Because they make me uncomfortable or they're hard to talk to. Problem is with God, he's perfect. The communication issue is not with him. It's with us. I'll give you an example today of that. I got a quote, and we'll jump on to the message by a young man named Alexander Pope. And it says, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Now, I'm not trying to say lower expectations. I'm just trying to say his thought was, when you do have expectations, oftentimes they're not met. And then you're disappointed because the expectation is not met. In our relationship with God, we have expectations sometimes that do not line up with his will for our life. We say, God, if you're God, you'll save this person when I want them to be saved. You'll help me get a perfect husband, perfect wife. Or if, if I'm married, my, I'll pray for my wife and she'll, she'll be able to make the bed every day. Or I'll pray for my husband, then he'll put the toilet tissue on the right way finally. Or I'll, I'll pray for my, my kids and then they'll listen to what I say. Right? Now, all these things are good, honest prayers, but what is God's will? 
Oftentimes we begin to jump into prayer without even asking God what it is you want. Because we have expectations. Sometimes we go to churches and say, I'm in this church, so this church is going to do this, this, and this. That way, I'll be satisfied with the church. But what is God's expectation for the church? Is God's expectation the same as yours? Well, Israel finds itself in this exact same challenge. Here, almost 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, now we're jumping into Isaiah chapter 53. Last week we talked about Isaiah chapter 52, and one of the best portions of the scripture in all the Bible is the end, the last two verses. Uh, I forgot to make a point last week. I usually never do this, but I wanted to add this point in here. Maybe I won't do it because I will go off on a rabbit trail and I won't be able to get back. Let me just start with 53. So remember, um, at this time, 700 years before Jesus came, and Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel. And remember, Isaiah is one book. Sometimes you'll look at uh, commentaries and they'll call it Deutero-Isaiah, meaning second Isaiah. Scholars sometimes challenge whether Isaiah wrote the entire book. So they'll say from chapter 41 on is another person, maybe it's Isaiah's disciples. It wasn't Isaiah because how in the world did Isaiah know exactly what events were going to happen years, hundreds of years before he even lived? The same thing kind of happened in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, there are events Daniel prophesied that were going to happen 400 years before the events happened in specific detail. But I'm here to tell you, be confident. God is in control. Every word is there by design. God is the one who's sovereign over the compiling of the scriptures. For instance, there's a scripture that Jesus quotes Isaiah. And that Jesus takes one scripture and he references Isaiah chapter 6. And then he references Isaiah chapter 50 something, like 52. And Jesus says from the same person. He says, Isaiah wrote this, and the same guy wrote this next scripture as well. So Jesus himself says it's the same author from the beginning until the end. And because Jesus thinks Isaiah wrote the whole book, I believe Isaiah wrote the whole book. Now, you don't have to have a problem with me. If you have a problem, take it up with Jesus. That's all I'm trying to say. Let me jump back into scripture. So here we go. It says, who has believed our message? This is a challenge. Israel right now, is, they're cast, they're, they're ostracized, they're in captivity. They've been sinning and sinning and sinning. The northern kingdom is obliterated by, the, by the, the Syrians, and now the Babylonians have taken over the southern kingdom, and Isaiah is prophesying about future, about hope. Even though times look horrific, Isaiah is like, God's going to move. So from 40 on here to about 52, it's how Israel's going to be restored, redeemed, saved. But here from 52 on, about to 55, there's this theme called the suffering servant. If you go to YouTube or Google, you type in these scriptures, many Orthodox Jews will say this has to do specifically with Israel and Israel only. Now, there are times that most of the Orthodox Jews are correct. A lot of times the suffering servant is Israel. Why? Because Israel had to bear the burden of the revelation of God from Abraham until now. God made a promise. And as long as Israel exists, we know God is faithful because he made an eternal covenant with them. But many people are like, oh, they try to use this kind of replace theology, replacement theology to say that the church is now Israel and the church is in Israel. Israel is Israel. That's why the name is Israel, right? We're the church. But nevertheless, 
Here we have to understand Isaiah is asking this question, who has believed our message? This message of hope, this message of redemption, this message about who the Messiah is. Because remember, they have this expectation that when the Messiah comes, he'll be this warlord king like Samson, like David, this manly man, this hero, Leonidas, Lincoln maybe, I don't know, Bill Goldberg, right? Who? I don't know. A stud. But listen to the description Isaiah gives about Jesus. Isaiah asks this rhetorical question. And every time you see in the scriptures a rhetorical question, if you remember your principles of Bible study tools, every time you see a rhetorical question, there is an accusation at the end of it. The answer is nobody. Who has believed our message? Nobody. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Nobody. He's asked a simple question. Now, this is the challenge of our faith. When we walk with God, we have to believe it first before we what? See it. Haven't you got there yet? You're like, man, I want to see God move in my life. I want to believe God to be true. No, no. Don't you understand? In God, you believe it first, then you see it. Who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord represents God's power. And every time you see the arm or the right hand is symbolizing the power of God. Now what's awesome about this, there's an irony here. Why? Because whenever you see the arm of the Lord, you think of strength, right? But what he's going to communicate to you is something weak. And what he's trying to say is, you're about to see something very weak. God's weakness. God's vulnerability. But in the weakness of God, he does something so powerful that it has the capacity and power to save all humanity. What am I trying to say? Even in God's weakness, he's so powerful that he could save all creation. Does that make sense? God looks weak in the sin of the Messiah because of how the Messiah looks. But even in that weakness, God reveals how powerful he really is. You may look back at the stars at night and say, oh my gosh, you are so mighty and powerful. You may look at the huge mountains and say, oh, it's breathtaking. Look at those mountains. I just lose my, I'm just at awe oh, the creation and the power of God. But when you look at the Messiah, you're going to be like this. What? What? That's the Messiah? And God's trying to say, yes, look at my power, even in my weakness. In verse 2, it says, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot. I don't know if you've ever seen a plant grow up in the garden, but you know that little part, that green part that comes out at the very beginning? That's a tender shoot. Now, when my granddad planted those things, uh, whether it was squash or corn, whatever it was, I was not allowed to go into the garden because if you step on those things when they're like that, they'll, they'll what? They'll die. You'll just you'll crush them. So, you, so that they're very vulnerable and weak. They need to be protected and preserved. Here it's saying that Jesus grew up weak. You say, what? Stick with me. Here. And like a root out of parched ground. 
he is growing up in unfavorable situation, an unfavorable context. He is not privileged. Jesus Christ grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. That's what it's saying. You're looking at Jesus, you're like, you're looking at him, you're like, man, he's weak, and he grew up in Nazareth. And remember what the apostle said about, can anything good come from, that was, that's the hood. Are you telling me the Messiah is coming from the hood? And now the Jewish people this time are reading this like, no way. When Jesus comes, no, when, when the Messiah comes, they would say during that day and time, he's going to come from the lineage of David, and he's going to be birthed in a castle that'll have a jacuzzi and a 70-inch 4K Ultra TV with the curved screen. He's going to have a waterbed. Do they even have waterbeds anywhere? I heard they're coming back. He's going to have a waterbed king size. His mom and dad are going to have a 401K, a 401B. They're going to have a trust fund. They're going to be rich. He's going to stand six foot five, 270 pounds of muscle. He's going to have a perfect IQ of 300. I don't even know if that's a real 400. He's going to get an SAT score of 1,600 and an ACT score of 38. We're making up numbers. He will be, he will be like a John Madden player. A Madden 99, 99, 99 for those who understand. Perfect. Look at this. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. What? What are you talking about? He's saying there's nothing special about this man, the Messiah. He's less than average. He's not even average. He's below average from appearance. This is Isaiah preaching about the Messiah 700 years, and he's given a report of what he sees about the Messiah. So imagine people are asking him, hey, Isaiah, tell us what he looks like to give a description of his attributes. And he's like, you know what? He's, there's nothing really that special about him. He's kind of average looking. And people are like, what? Our Messiah? No. Listen to this. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He's making a point. We're looking at the Messiah from the eyes of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came. And he's given us a description of what Jesus looked like. And the Jews at the time are, are expecting something completely different. And even though this is in the Bible, Isaiah 53, there are even sects of religious Jews who have taken 53 out. Because it's so clear so specific regarding how he's going to pass, how he's going to be killed, how he's going to be sacrificed, even more how he looked. I propose to you this. One reason is a conjecture only that Jesus Christ was rejected because he was not hot. He didn't look like the man. When people looked at him, they were like, oh, that is God? No way! Not him! I'm telling you, not him. Oh, yeah. That's how God rolls. Listen to this. We talked about his appearance. We talked about his neighborhood. Now, how did, how did people interact with the Messiah? 
Isaiah, you're, you're looking into the future. How, how do people respond to the Messiah? He was despised and forsaken of men. People like, what? That's the Messiah? He's despised and forsaken. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Like, what is happening? There's mismatch expectations. The people during that day and time have an expectation on the Messiah. And right now, the way it's being articulated, that Messiah is not going to meet those expectations. Now, this is the question of all questions. If God doesn't meet your expectation, will you still worship him? And like one whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. He says, he's not going to get the MVP. He's not going to get the player of the year. He's not going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. He's going to be ostracized. He's going to be the guy that when you walk in a room, you're not going to even know he's there. That is Jesus. We didn't can make movies about him. We put handsome men with flowing hair and beautiful eyes, strong chins. That's Jesus. No. He, he probably doesn't look like that at all. He was despised, forsaken. On the original movie of, um, what was it called? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There was a little island of people uh, that uh, Rudolph got kicked off to remember the name of the island? The Island of Misfits. Do you know what we just described? One of those cats from the Island of Misfits. That's Jesus. He's not the status quo. And when you look at him, you have to actually have a conversation with yourself. Could this be the one? I'm going to make this point and we'll jump into our points. And this is another conjecture, and I rarely do conjecture, but I have to do this today because I think it's good. We talked about last week, Isaiah chapter 52, and we talked about how Jesus was, was marred, how he was beaten so badly that no one could even perceive him. He was, he was the Bible says he was beaten so bad, he didn't even look like a man, said that. Now, remember after Jesus was resurrected, and they could still see the, the what? The nail prints in his, in his hands, wherever you think they are. And they saw the, the, the spear, the hole in his side, right? It was still there. It was still there. There is a theory that I'm, I'm a person who believes it's true. You don't have to just want to do anything about your salvation, but I got to at least throw it out there. That when Jesus was resurrected, his face was still in the shape of what it was when he was beaten to death. If you go back in the book of John, everybody keeps seeing him, but what do they keep saying? Anyone? We didn't know it was him. Remember Mary went in the garden and she was like, she, it's a gardener. Remember the two men on the Mass Road, they're walking with him. They said what? They didn't know who it was until the very end. Now, the reason why I say this is because his description is the slain lamb before the foundation of the earth. Oh. This is my personal belief. When we see Jesus in heaven, he's going to still have the, the, the prints the, 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 where the nails went in his body and where the, 
spear with his body. He's still going to have those marks. Now, would you still receive him if his face is still deformed from how bad he was beaten? And you may say, no, no, he's going to come back like a man, like a stud. But, but, but think about this. If every time you look at Jesus and you see how bad he was beaten, what should that do to your heart? Wouldn't that build gratitude? Wouldn't you be committed? Wouldn't you say, oh, Lord, thank you for all eternity for what you did for me on the cross? Got a couple of points that we're done for the day. Understand, God sent his answer to humanity in plain sight, yet for most, their expectations were not realized, so they rejected Jesus Christ. Today, we're in a similar scenario. You go back to the early church. Anybody watch the movie Paul yet? Anybody? One, two, three. Didn't you see how horrific it was to be a Christian during that day and time? Like, everybody was being slaughtered, all the church. But they were prepared to die. Their expectation wasn't to live a happy life with two cars and a nice dog and have an Xbox or a PlayStation 4. Their expectation was, I'm committed to Christ, therefore I'm dead, and now my home is heaven. And I'm not afraid to die because I know I'm going to be in heaven. That truth has been lost on the church. Why? Because that's scary. I don't want to die. I'm trying to get my nice dream home. I'm trying to build up my 401k. I'm trying to get to 1 million. I'm trying to do good in financial peace. I'm trying to get my Range Rover. Anybody? No, just me? Okay, I'm keep throwing it out there. I'm not trying to get me one. I'm just trying to say. <laughs> What's the point I'm trying to make? Our expectations have to be God's expectation. God has a plan, and we are aligning our lives up with his And our commitment level is determined based upon our ability to yield to God's plan for our life. It's great to have expectations, but make sure your expectations are aligned with God's purpose and plan for your life and not for you to live a life of ease here on this planet. We are in the midst of war. People are passing away daily. Do you know right now more Christians are being persecuted today than any time in the history of the church? Right now. Who had a bad week? Don't raise your hand. Rhetorical question. Accusation at the end of it. Who had a bad week? I did too. But there are people who have died this week for their faith in Jesus. Next point. God can be speaking clearly to you, but you can be missing his message because of your expectation. Has anybody prayed that God give you an answer for something? Don't raise your hand. I'll do this a lot. Please bear with me. You've been praying, God, move, God, move. Show me, God, show me. And then God shows you like, that ain't God. That's the devil. That ain't God. That's not, no, no, God, no. God is speaking. And often it is crystal clear. But sometimes we say that can't be God. Not because it's not clear, but because it doesn't meet our expectations. God is the one who's in control. I wish we were. Maybe I don't wish we were. But if God lays down a clear path for your life, walk it out. Oftentimes we say, hey, I want to be used of God. Do you know what that means? God, use me for your glory. Do you know what Jesus Christ being glorified meant? It meant the cross. That's when Jesus Christ glorified God on the cross. 
Next point. Understand that our expectation for God can hinder our ability to understand his clearest and most powerful messages. Man, I want my life to be easy. I'm just being honest. I want to have a jacuzzi. Who has the, who has the best bathtub in this, in this room today? Who has the hottest bathtub? I, I want your bathtub. I want who has the shower that the, the water comes out hard. Who has that shower? Ray J, I'm serious now. Who has a hard shower? There you go. Oh, I see you. My shower water comes out so weak. And I have, it's so weak. I'm just, I stand in the water and it just. <laughs> so this is what I do. I go, Ooh, right? <laughs> you get it? Ooh, I run into it, right? To, to make it harder. <laughs> Simulating force. <laughs> And it doesn't work, y'all. But what if I don't get hard water? Maybe I really have hard water, but what if I get like a powerful thrust from my water spigot? What if I don't ever get that? Like, well, I'll be like, God, you didn't meet my expectation. I've been praying for that water to pick up some thrust, Lord. Ain't no thrust coming, God. What am I going to do? What if I never get the Range Rover? What if it never happens? Well, I'll be like, God, you, you disappointed me. You said I can have everything I asked for. You told me I could pray in a, a mountain will throw itself in the ocean. And I can't have my Range Rover, my 4.0, 4.6. What if my kids who are in Virginia never get to live with me? What if I've been praying, Lord, bring them up here, Lord. And it doesn't happen. Will I still yield myself to them? It's real. Next point. Know that you can respond to God correctly. You can do this. You are built for this. This is just called one thing, worship. Go back and manage your expectations so they align it with God's will for your life. And when you surrender your free will to God's will, then you're in worship. Your expectation caused you to miss God's purpose for your life. What I'm trying to say when the Jews are reading this, they're, they're having to struggle. I would too. If I go back in my past, I, honestly, my past, I can only go back four generations. And I can't say I have, my grandmother was a descendant of a slave owner and a slave. And I have a lot of Indians in this family and Indians over there. I know we all say we have Indians in our family, but I do. I really do. Um, I can't go back and say that I'm a descendant of a king or a prince or anything like that. I can't. Right? I can say I'm a descendant of, of slaves. And, and that's a humbling perspective to have. But when I got saved, my lineage changed. And now I'm a descendant of a king. However, I'm being prepared to rule. And God's looking for kings and queens to rule the way he wants them to rule. Are you willing to lay down your life for the king, for your father. You're now a descendant of great men and women of faith who some, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, read it over and over, who died without receiving the promise. God gave these people promises in this life and they did not even get it in this life. Because they said this, you know what God, hold off on giving that promise. I want it in eternity so I never lose it. God obliged. My thought for you today is this. What if God says no about some of your requests? 
What if he says, hold on, I'll give it to you in eternity? You willing to trust him? He's always speaking. You can do this. You were built for this. Every action you take is so important. If you are a Christian, if you're saved, you are a leader of men. God has given you wisdom that the world will never, ever have. But you got to walk it out. Hey, God's grace is there. His mercy is there. If you make mistakes, God will forgive you. But understand when people see you trip and fall and stumble, that means you lose credibility for them. So what I'm saying, prepare yourself to be faithful. We're beginning to talk about spiritual disciplines from the pulpit so you understand how we value your walk with God. We cut down on sermon time for that because I think your prayer time, fasting, meditation is vital for you to stay close to Jesus Christ. We're going to start asking you questions like, who's prayed this week? And it won't be rhetorical. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we're going to pass out a card. Pastor Bashad is going to help us in this process. We're going to give you cards and there'll be a list on it. And it's going to ask you, did you pray this week? Did you fast? Did you read your Bible? And you're going to be like, oh, you're not going to call me out, Pastor. No, I'm not going to call you out. It's going to be anonymous. I won't know who's praying and fasting and reading. But if you get that card enough, my hope is this. <laughs> we're going to give it to you every... We're going to burn some trees up in this church. I'm just letting you know. We're going to burn some trees. I'm just, hey, you people recycle. I, I love you. We're going to put, we'll recycle the paper. We're going to take that data. And we're going to let you see. You're having challenges. As Greg said, they're going to come. Jesus says storms will come. Greg said something similar to Jesus. Praise God. But understand this. They are going to come. And your only tool, your trust, your faith in our everlasting King. You can do this. Live well. Finish strong. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord God. We're thankful, Lord God, that you made the ultimate sacrifice. You died on the cross. You surrendered your will to the will of the Father. You prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the olive press. You, you asked if the cup could be taken away. And when you heard no, you responded, not, not your will, but the Father's will be done. Lord Jesus, that was the strongest feat we have ever seen in our lives and ever will see in eternity. We pray for that anointing to be in our lives, Father. We pray for true strength, strength to adhere to your will regardless of the consequences. Lord God, we do it, Lord God, not just to be faithful, but to receive the prize you have for us. Lord God, you desire to reward us to love us, to lavish on us. But you're equipping us and changing us so we're able to handle all the stuff you want us to have. So develop our character so that we could be faithful stewards of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, there anyone in here today you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And this day you want to come home while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Will you raise your hand and put it down and we'll pray for you. 
If you walked away from Christ, you want to come back. If you're here today and you want restoration, your relationship with God, I want you to raise your hand and put it down. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. I'm going to pray for you, church. Father God, bless your saints. They are overcomers. They're more powerful than they realize. Help them walk it out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. All-consuming fire Live.